0: Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're tuning in to our new series titled, Tools of the Trade, where we'll be going through some of the most popular Bible verses and equipping you with the tools to understand them and use them. Thanks for listening. Alright, so we're going to jump right in this morning. We are week five into our series, Tools of the Trade. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and be making your way to John chapter 14. And I'm going to tell you, I'm excited about what this word means this morning. One, I've been looking at this for a while. Two, um, it it is something that I've labored over because it's such a big idea. And three, from early this morning, studying and praying over, I've felt the Spirit of God. I mean, I'm anticipating God doing something really interesting, really special, uh, something that's needed in somebody's heart this morning through this powerful word. So I know that your Bibles are there. I know your sermon guides are there. I know your pens are open. I know you're awake. But I want want you to have just a spirit of prayer that your heart is more open than all three of those things and that you position yourself in that um, in that place of praise. A hundred billion galaxies Give him praise, so so will I. So let's lean into it this morning. I want you to think about this question to yourself. What is the difference between a routine and a habit? Kind of think about that. What's the difference in a routine and a habit? Most of you have some type of routine in your life. A routine is a sequence of actions that you follow regularly. For the why at home, we have a morning routine during the week. It includes making lunches. It includes Ziploc bags. It includes braids. It includes um, coffee. You know, it. it you know, my, my wife have has this down to a fine old machine because we have to get out the door at a certain time in order not to get behind a certain bus. Most of the time, most of the time this routine includes us trying to find Sadie's shoes, two of which match. That's part of our, that's part of our, our routine. Routines, they're a normal operating procedure. Y'all with me? We all have these routines. It's that groove that you create for your life so you can be more productive. Nobody wants to go in circles. But a routine is different than a habit. Most of the time, you go through a routine, there's this intentionality. You do this on purpose. There's a goal that you're trying to accomplish. But a habit, usually a habit are those things that you don't want to do. They're hard to break. Most of the times. You know, you go through those without even realizing that you're doing it. Habit gets under somebody's skin, at least for, for, for us. You know, ha- habits are, are subconscious, they tend to drive other people crazy, and you don't even realize that you're, that you're doing these things. Y'all with me? Apparently, so I've been told, I tap my teeth when Debbie and I are watching a movie together. I mean, apparently, this oh-so-faint, almost-silent sound of enamel-touching provokes my wife to anger. Like, stop it. What am I doing? I'm breathing. You're tapping your teeth. Is this truth? I speak truth. I don't mean to do it. I don't mean to do it. Even, even I know that I'm not doing it. It's just a habit in the middle of a, of a routine. But in church life, we also have routines. You know, Some of you like to sit in the same place by routine. No one gives you assigned seats. You like to typically park in the same place. You, know, you, you walk in the same door. You, you naturally kind of go to the same place. Maybe you go to the restroom at the same time, even though you really maybe don't need to use it, but it's just a part of that routine. Maybe you gravitate toward certain people. Y'all with me? Maybe you have those morning routines in your Bible study. Maybe you use a certain app. We have all of these routines in in our faith. We also have habits in our faith. Remember, there's a difference between a routine and a habit. And so in week five of this series, Tools of the Trade, popular verses that we're trying to proper uses of popular verses. What I want to do is is I want to look at a verse today that's so often taken out of context because of religious habit. And we're stuck in those routines. It's easy to fall into in our Christian lives. I get it because a Christian life is a life and life are you know, we gravitate toward being comfortable. We like routines because there's security there. And let's be honest though, A faith that is stuck in a routine can turn into a rut. And it's easy to get in a rut, isn't it? But like I've said before, you know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with two ends knocked out of it. Man, you don't want to be in a spiritual rut. At least I don't want to be in a spiritual rut. I want to to unpack this verse so we can kind of climb out of a religious routine. And certainly... If, if we're finding ourselves in a rut, man, that we would get out of that rut because we are called to grow and to change and to be conformed by the Spirit and in the image of the Son to glorify the Father. We are, we are not to live in a spiritual rut, but man, it is easy to get there. It's easy to get in that spiritual rut, just spinning your wheels, not really making any progress you got to stop watering what you don't want to grow. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. got to stop watering. So if you're a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in, in John 14, 14. 14, 14. That's where we're going to be. So if you have your copy, just in reverence of this power of this Word and the other scriptures we're going to read this morning. Let's stand together. For me and this pastor's heart, this is one of my favorite things to see is a church family standing on the promises of the word of God. John 14:14. 14, 14. Very simple. Very simple verse. It says this, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the Lord Jesus talking right here. There's power there. Y'all with me? We're going to unpack this. So let's ask the Lord. But I'm not going to lead us in prayer in this moment. I want you just to pray to yourself just for a moment. So will I. So will I be tender and open to let this word come to life in your own heart. So let's just spend a few seconds just praying. Ask the Lord to work this morning ask him to just give you a, a heart of, of the phrase so will I ask him to help open your heart to what this verse means who he is, and what he wants to do. Lay yourself bare this morning. Father God, we can do nothing but just bow our hearts to you, Lord, in the image of your Son, through the power of the Spirit. Spirit, I ask you, Lord, to just reveal some things inside of us. God, you are in this place. This is a place of praise. So, God, this morning, we ask you to do a word, to show up and show out. God, we expect this word to do something in the hearts of these people. God, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you've spoken to me through this text. God, give us a strength just to digest it, Lord. God, eliminate distractions this morning that were brought into this room that may have prevented us from saying with an open and humble heart, so will I. Lord, this is the Labor Day weekend. There is no work greater than the work that you're doing inside of us, changing us, Lord, calling us out of darkness into marvelous light, revealing to us more and more of your grace and your purpose for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen and amen. Are you guys going to be seated? Ask anything in my name. In my name. Man, that is, that is the motherload right there. I mean, think about that. That, that. that is the holy grail of ask, you would think. Because, man, what a promise. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. That's pretty bold. I mean, you know, in my copy of God's Word, this in red. It's pretty bold. So the question is, does that mean that asking in Jesus' name? Does that just mean that you know your prayers get a little extra boost? You know, is that just a little support beam you put under there? You know, does it does it make it to heaven faster if you if you throw that tagline on it? it you know, it seems. That what Jesus is doing is he's, he's teaching some magical formula that guarantees that he will receive our prayers. He's giving us instruction. You know, no matter what, as long as it's prayed in Jesus' name. Y'all with me? Say, I am. You know, Lord, please keep me safe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And then you go get on that fly-by-night carnival ride. Lord, please, please help this test come back okay. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Lord, bring me a new job. Bring me a new boyfriend. Bring me a better house, a better car, a promotion. Lord, bring me Sadie's other shoe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's real life, isn't it? Come on. It's, it's real life. Lord, please don't let my parents find out. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Lord, bless this double-fudge brandy to the nourishment of my body and the body to your service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are Christians that believe that if those three words in Jesus' name are not attached to the end of the prayer, then it doesn't count. Come on now, be honest. If you hear someone pray and they don't end the prayer like that, you get kind of awkward. You're thinking, they don't know how to pray. Or you think... Did they forget something? You know, we, we get in this routine and a habit, right? We use that tagline to, to kind of land our prayers. You know, it's our final descent. We've got the clearance to land from the tower, and we land it. Sometimes we just run out of things to pray about. And so we'll say, so, yeah, in Jesus' name I pray, Amen it's that exclamation point it's that period so why would Jesus command this what does it really mean well this is on your notes and and this is it the words in Jesus name are not to be used as a prayer bow but an access point to the will of God It's not just something that you use to land that plane. It's intentional. It has so much purpose. So much purpose that the one that breathed into creation. A hundred billion galaxies gave us His revelation through through His word. And it's listed in the eternal scriptures. So it's not just a tagline. It's not some magical formula. And when we come before the Lord, it is no small thing. And man, we have to handle our prayers with extreme care. Handle it. How you pray, in the heart with which you approach God, I want you to know, Church, that matters. This is not any ordinary conversation that you're having right here. Then the disciples knew this was no small thing, and that's the context that we find in this verse. That's the proper context. Is in then this moment of intense instruction, and uh, and prayer. And so the first thing that I want you to know about in Jesus' name is it gives us access. In Jesus' name gives us access. Go to verse 1, if you will. John 14, verse 1. Remember, you know, we're five weeks into this, and something that I've hopefully communicated to you in the first four weeks, is any time that you cherry pick a verse, you have to look at everything that's around it in the context: who's writing it, who's it written to, where's it written from, um, what is the message that the author is trying to communicate to the audience, who is this audience, you know, and and where it's found in the other narratives that's around it in that particular paragraph. And so, for us to understand that of of John fourteen fourteen, we really need to go back further than that but we're going to go back to John 14 verse 1 it says this do not let your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me so this is the Lord Jesus talking to his disciples in my father's house are many rooms if not I would have told you Jesus is not Trying to trick his disciples. He's like. I'm going to tell you the truth. Trust me. If it's not true. I would have told you. I'm not going to tell you something. That's not true. I'm going away. To prepare a place for you. And they would understand this context. Because. You know. I've preached a message. You know. Before. About how a Jewish wedding. Would take place. You know. The. 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 The groom would go back, he would he would come to the bride and he would offer a cup of covenant, and then he would go back to his father's house, and he would he would create this space for his bride, and then at the proper time that the son does not know, but the father does. The father would say, Son, go get your bride, and then he would go. That's the that's the parable that you see with the virgins trimming their lamps. People are shut out, they're not prepared. This is an entire picture of how Christ is preparing a place for his bride so that we can be comfortable. We can be confident. He's saying, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way where I'm going. In verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Man, you see their humanity right here. These are just guys just like us. Disciples, men and women just like us. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him and the others that were sitting there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father from now on. You do know him and have seen him. And they're like, what in the world? He's reinforcing these things. See, it's dangerous to just pluck out verse 14 and that says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. You know, you can't just grab that and take that verse to the car lot with you. And now I got my checkbook and I got John 14, 14. Where's my new ride, Lord? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. But it's taken like that sometimes, isn't it? It's taken out of context. To understand what it means is, is to understand what is meant by the word ask. The disciples, y'all, they've been with the Lord for a good portion now, for 24-7. All the time, you know, moving around, following. They would have naturally asked for the same thing that they had been asking for the last three years as they walked with Jesus. You know, if you want, you know, if your children, if your children are with my my girls are with me a lot. They know what to ask for. They know what's off limits. They know what we don't have time for there, that we're connected. And so they would know what to ask for. It would have been what Jesus had taught them to ask for, because what Jesus taught them to ask for was the same thing that he asked for in his prayers, because he's leading them by example. He's re, re, he's he's duplicating himself. He's it's, 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 it's replicating on earth what they are to take to the world, and that is this: access to the Father's will. So as they're following on, you to catch this. It's about the ask. It's not just any. It's not the word anything that's the focus. It's the word ask. Remember when, when the Lord Jesus was praying right before Judas's kiss in the garden, he knelt and he prayed so intently that his, that his prayer was this, Father, not my will be done, but what, church? Yours. So to pray in Jesus' name, they would be given access to the will of the Father because they would be going to the Father Through the Son. Through His name. Which means a personal representative carrying the same authority. So what we see in the first verses of John 14 is Jesus is trying to get them to understand again. Because they're so hard headed and they're so, so distracted by everything that's going around that they miss the point. Jesus is trying to reinforce that He and the Father are one. This verse is, claim, is the claim of full deity of our Lord Jesus. The Bible never says that Jesus, Jesus never says he's God. Yes, it does. It, it implies it. It didn't have to say it because it was understood in that context. He and the Father are one. The equivalency with the Father. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the exclusive access to God because I am God. I am the expression of God, the Word in human flesh, John 1. But what is the setting? And I told you, you can't just plug it out. What is the setting here? Where, where is this taking place? Well, it's in the upper room. You know, if you really look at John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's, it all takes place in the upper room. It's a dim, dimly lit room. Jesus has given these, these disciples like one last opportunity to sit at his feet. He actually washes their feet. It's the last supper before his death, his physical death. It's the last time that he will spend quality, uninterrupted time with them on this side of the resurrection. This is this moment that it's like, you know, let's call the family in because we need to say some final words. You know, put yourself there. It's a somber moment. Their life is in chaos. He's about to be arrested. Tensions are high. It's the final charge. And I don't want you to miss that context. Because it's there that we see how tender our Lord Jesus is. Because John 14.1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Y'all, he knows they're troubled. He, know, he knows what's going on. He, he's there. He's there. He's sitting right there. They, they fear that they were losing access to God's playbook. Because for three years, see, Jesus was their earthly conduit to the Father. And now he's like, I'm out of here. Don't worry. Why are they worried? Because he's explaining to them that he's about to be killed. He's leaving. Of course they would be worried. Be like you're taking your children somewhere. Say, okay, I'm leaving you. And you'll never see me again. Of course they would be worried. It's not out of the picture to think about the anxiety that right there. He's telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because I'm not leaving you just to wander around in the darkness. Confused on what to do next. Don't let your hearts be what? Troubled. I encourage you to tell yourself that often. I'm going to let my heart be troubled. He's telling them this. For their hearts not to be troubled. He's not going to leave them. Because he's saying. Because you've seen me and you know me. So you know what to ask him. Because I and my father are one. He's like you don't have to change what you've been doing. Just continue to do what you've done. For the last three years or so. As you walk with me. Because me and the father are one. So it's nothing new. Just do what you've always done. Me and my father are one. There's this dad, and he took his, he took his son to the fair. Uh, and he went up to the booth, and he bought a whole roll of tickets. His intentions of the tickets were to spend all afternoon letting his son, his only son, ride any ride that he wanted. So they've ridden a couple of rides, and they're standing in line. And then the friend's son, who the dad does not know, comes running up. He's like, hey, you know, they're in class together. And so the son introduces his friend to the father. And after, you know, the, the, the introduction, the friend looks at the dad. He's like, hey, can I have some of the tickets? And dad's like, can't do it, buddy. These tickets belong to my son. I bought these tickets so that my son can ride the rides. And the son's like, oh, 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 dad, dad, it's okay. You can give him some. And so what does the dad do? The dad doesn't mind sharing with a friend. And he's like, yeah, here's some tickets for you. Because when the father heard the son give the okay, the father freely gave some tickets to the friend in the name of the son. You see what I'm putting out. See when we pray and ask of the father, he looks at the son for the okay. Because the gift of the ticket is dependent on the son. And Jesus gives exclusive access to the father's gifts because he is the way. And the truth. And the life. And nobody comes into the Father's presence except through Him. And so Jesus right here is comforting them by explaining that in His name. Means that anything that they would do or ask needs to be consistent with who Jesus is. What He taught. What he expected from his followers, so that the kingdom of God can be highlighted and expanded. I say that again: when you pray in His name, He's saying what you need to do is because Me and the Father are one. He's like you need to ask in a manner that's consistent with who I am, what He taught, and I taught you, and what I expect from your follow, from you as our followers. We should seek to ask God in prayer things that are consistent with God's will and for God's glory. Y'all with me? That is is the key to this verse right here. Because that's the attitude that God calls us to have when we go to Him and ask in His name. With that attitude, see, that whatever you're asking is is, is to seek God's will and to seek His glory. And when you pray like that, You're not going to just ask for anything. But what Christ has already told you is available through his word. What's consistent with who he is, what he taught, and for the glory of God. That's the ask for us. And when you ask like that, you're asking for things that are already available. That's the beauty. And that's when you start seeing your prayers come to life. man... God, you're blowing my mind here. God begins to answer prayers because it's in line with His will. Then when you pray in Jesus' name, think about it, and I really tried try to take this concept, which, which is deep in the theology of the Trinity. I tried to take this concept and I tried to make it into something that I could understand and apply. And, and I think this is a special thing for us. When you think about praying in the Father's will. And I don't want to trivialize this, but simple things for simple minds, right? That's why I'm here. (laughs) When you ask for something in Jesus' name, I want you to think about it like a drive-thru. Let's take the drive-thru at Wendy's, for example. Corporate Wendy's sets the menu for all of their locations. All right, hang with me. Are you comparing the Trinity to, to Wendy's? I'm not saying that, no. Think about it like corporate. What is on the menu when you drive there is set by corporate. And so corporate sends each local store what corporate has already pre-selected that you can ask for when you drive up to your local Wendy's. And so that menu is the visible demonstration of the will of corporate. And so if you want to connect to corporate Wendy's, you have to ask for what you want to eat from the menu. So you drive up and you hear, welcome to Wendy's, going to take your order. You know, you have to order. You, you know, you have, to, you have to, in that moment, what you're going to do is you, you're going to order something off the menu and you're going to expect it to be given to you when you drive around. It will be illogical to drive up and say, yeah, I, I, I'd, like a, I'd like a sirloin medium with a, with a, with a baked potato loaded with a house salad, with, the, with a dressing on the side. If you, if you say that, you are not going to hear, okay, thank you, you drive around to the first window. They're going to think it's some type of joke. You're not going to hear that because it's outside of the wheel that corporate has set. You see where we're going with this? And the reason that people are not receiving what they're asking for is because they're asking for what's not on the menu. That's on your notes. That's it. People are disconnected from the will of God because they're not connected to the Word of God. They don't understand what, what Jesus taught. They don't understand what He expected. They don't under, they didn't, you know, we don't understand fully followership or to the glory of God. So to pray in Jesus' name is so much more than a habit tagline. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, there's power there. Man, just, you know, don't don't just land the plane with throwing those words in there. But we add it. We add it. And often we add it just to try to grant us every selfish request because we think that it makes God answer to us because we've prayed in His name. That's not it at all. What it does is it grants us access to the will of God To the throne of God through the Son. Because he said the Father and I are one. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You're not getting a new playbook. Yes, I'm stepping away. But I'm not stepping away by by not equipping you of how how to stay in connection with the Father. You have everything you need to get to the Father's heart. Because I and the Father are one. So disciples, he's saying, look at me. What is my heart? What have I been telling you? Just continue to do those things. And I'll grant you access to the Father's will. I was in a bookstore as a teenager. You know, started growing in my faith. And um, walked up to the counter and asked the clerk. I said, do you have God's will? Which was a book that just came out. (laughs) Which I didn't add that part. Do you have the book here that just came out called God's will? I just said, do you have God's will? And the the guy cleverly is like, "Well, you got to pray for that. (laughs) But we do. Right? That is a prayer, hopefully, that we pray so often. God, what is your will? What is your will for my life? I think a better question is, what is my life for your will? Because his will doesn't change. It's just us not being able to sense it or not being uh, willing to position ourselves consistently in God's word To who's seeking who Christ is and what he says he requires to be a follower. That's God's will. So yeah, it gives us access. They don't really answer the question though. Pastor, how do I know God's will? Well, this this is the second thing. In Jesus' name gives us consistency. Gives us consistency. Look at verse 7. Uh, of John 14. Because we like consistency. You know, you ever had something to eat and you're like, well, how does it taste? It tastes okay, but it has a weird, what? Consistency. We don't like things that aren't consistent, even if they're bad things. <laughs> Some people would rather be miserable because it's consistent. But my responsibility and the word God's responsibility is to bring Comfort to the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Because any time that we are comfortable, man, we're stuck in a rut. We just go through the motions. And you'll look back three years from now. like, Man, I am exactly where I was in my faith three years ago. Five years ago. Ten years ago. I do not want us to be a church family that's, that's just stuck in a rut. Because it's just a grave with two ends knocked out of it. There's no growth in a rut. You actually just make things deeper and deeper and deeper. And so the will of God has to be find, found in something consistent. In Jesus' name, it gives us that consistency that we need, but it's the consistency that causes us to grow and to move. Look at, look at verse 7. If you know me, you'll also know my Father. From now on, you, will, from now on you do know Him and have seen Him. He's comforting them that they don't know how to, how to get to the Father anymore because Jesus is leaving. So in verse 8, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. They, they're just not, they're not grasping the concept. And so Jesus kind of rebukes them a little bit in verse 9. Jesus says to him, Philip, who's probably speaking on the behalf of everybody else in the room, Jesus says, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has sent me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? We are one, is what he's saying. The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because the works themselves. We see that in tomorrow We talked about that this summer. And so verse 12 says, Truly I tell you, like listen up, I'm telling you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father. So he's starting to transition a little bit. He's starting to you know, reveal to them that he's going away. But they still have a job to do. A responsibility. That's what responsibility is. is to respond with ability. So as parents and as Christ followers, we have responsibility. You have, it's your job, you have responsibility. That means you are expected to respond with ability. And if you can't respond with ability then you won't be given that particular task because we know that we're not up to it. So it's actually a privilege to have responsibility because it's evidence that God has given you the ability to respond to the task. And that's what he's saying. He's saying this is fixed. This is is static. Verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He's talking about greater works. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that's how, he, that's how he, he ties it up there. It's not just a tagline. It's an exclamation point on what he's trying to teach them. See, when you learn, you know, when you learn something uh, or you understand something differently, it brings a lot of comfort. You know, if something's broken at the house and it's bringing anxiety to you and you learn how to fix it, You just feel more comfortable about the situation. You know, it's important for us to know how to, you know, change a spare tire, for example. If you don't know how to do that and you have a flat, you're freaking out. Why are you freaking out? Because you don't know what to do. But if you're familiar with the process, you can jump into action. And so what he's trying to get them to understand is get this Learn this, because it's going to bring comfort to you. That's what the disciples were used to. They were were used to consistent comfort, access to God. They were with Him. The Lord was right by their side all the time. So yeah, they went through things where they didn't necessarily know the answer, but they knew the one that could provide a solution to the challenge. Because Jesus had responsibility, and they were really comfortable with that. Church, when you walk in faith, With the Lord. And you see him responding with ability. Oh man it's so sweet. Isn't it? Taste and see. That the Lord is good. The consistency. You know the consistency. That the Lord is good. And when you know that consistency. Man it's comfortable. And so he's saying. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I am consistent. And while you might not be. You know see me. Everything that you know that you need to do is consistent. So consistently do these things. So the first thing it means to ask for is consistency to God's will. So when you pray for in Jesus' name, yeah, it gives us consistency. So I want to kind of unpack consistency a little bit. What 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 is he saying to his disciples that they need to be consistent with? So he's saying, don't be comforted, just Keep doing what you've been doing. Don't worry that, that I'm not physically with you. because I'm going away. But you're not going to miss the access to the Father. Be consistent. Church, I'm telling you, be consistent. Come to church when it's inconvenient. Be all in when it's inconvenient. Put in the work to be consistent. One, because you don't want to be stuck in an unhealthy rut. But two, people are watching. Your children are watching. Just be consistent. My parenting philosophy is simple. Fun and firm. Man, I try to say yes as much as I can. Dad, can we do this? Yes. Can we go to the milkshake? Yeah. Can we get ice cream? Yeah. Can we get another dog? No. <laughs> I try to say yes more than no because when I say no, I want them to understand That I'm just not being mean or being selfish. And what i found, especially in my own heart, is when I'm tempted to say no to my children, it's really not because it's something that they don't need or want to do. It's because saying yes is an inconvenience to my selfishness. And so, no! Why? Why, why, why would I not want to read a book? Why would I not want to watch a TV? Why would I not want to throw pitch? Why would I not want to go outside? Why would I not want to jump on the trampoline? Why would I not want to do these things? Is it because really that's wrong? Or I would just rather sit inside and not do what you're asking me to do? So fun and firm. And those moments that you're firm. You know. I love you. Sweet cheeks, i die for you. But don't cross me. You know, have... Talking to Emma, not Debbie. <laughs> See, when you have those firm boundaries and they're consistent and you say yes often, when you, when you say no to those things and you know that it's fixed and it's static, there's actually a lot of comfort that comes with that. And so he's like, you just need to do what you've been doing. Be consistent to God's will. Uh, go, go to Matthew chapter 6. Y'all, y'all hang a left. Go to Matthew 6. I'm going to start in verse 7. I think, I think verse 10 is going to be up there. But, but I want to start in verse 7. I'll give you a few more minutes to get there. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7. This is when the disciples were asking Jesus, how do we pray? How do we, how, how do we consistently gain access to the Father like you? So in verse 7, Jesus tells them, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Meaning, don't be unintentional. Think about it. Since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Not about just the words. About the, the quality, the heart behind it. You know, sometimes, judge not lest you be judged. That was a couple of weeks ago, so don't judge me. When we sit down to eat, I may pray this. God, thank you for the food. Amen. What's wrong with that? Does it have to be a high priestly prayer from the pastor? No. It's the heart. It's the heart. But there are times where you, you do lament for long periods of time. Just share your heart with the Lord. And he's saying, don't, you know, don't be like them because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Talking about the will of God. In verse 9, therefore you should pray like this. Our father, Abba, which, which, which are in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's saying, be consistent with the will. But Pastor Ryan, what is the will of God? Man, that's a a heavy question. I know it is. What school, what job, what church, what guy, what girl, what do I say? What does God want me to do? This is for somebody this morning. This, I'm going to tell you, this, this is good stuff. What did Jesus do? Because Jesus and the Father are one. So whatever Jesus did, that's the will of God. So when I thought about that in message prayer, I'm thinking, hmm, that, that really kind of changes things a little bit. That changes things that I've often prayed. I mean, if, if Jesus... You know, if Jesus always did the will of God, what did Jesus do? If Jesus did it, then it is the will of God because he was the perfect fulfillment of the will of God. Jesus is the will of God. So if you want to know God's will, you have to know what Jesus did, you have to know what he stood for. You also have to know he didn't go to college. This is radical. I catch this. He didn't try to find the right spouse. He didn't raise teenagers. He didn't need the right doctor. You may say all these things. You're right. He he didn't do any of those things because that means those things don't define the will of God. Those are things, those are stages of our life. You'll, you'll You'll never have more power in your faith and in your family than you're willing to die for in the flesh. That's Matthew Matthew twenty two. So you know, let's go let's go to the right. You were in Matthew six. Look at Matthew twenty two. I don't want you to hear what I'm what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to. Go to school, get a job, and get married. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if those things could define the will of God and you make a mistake on those things, that would mean that we are more powerful in our choices than the will of God, which is not true. That's unbiblical. God is sovereign. What did Jesus do? What is the will of God? What well, says it? They were questioning Jesus. Look at, look at um, Matthew 22. It says this. Teacher... Which command in the law is the greatest? They're asking. They're trying to back him into a corner. What do you want me to do? And he said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, those two go together. Because if you love the Lord your God, you're going to naturally love other people. And if you don't love other people, how can you say that you love the one that created those people? So those two always go together. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So Jesus is, he knows what they're asking. They're, they're trying to corner him, Jesus, what is, what is the will of God? What do you think? Because in their minds, arrogantly, they, they knew what they thought the will of God was. They were putting him to the test, and so he nailed it right there. He's like, you'll never have more power in your family and your faith than you were willing to die for in the flesh. Because we are our greatest stumbling block. Amen, church? And we are. See, when a person's heart is honest, when a person's heart is pure, when a person's heart is steadfast, with a desire to bring glory to God no matter the situation, and you are willing to obey to the drawing God that's, that, that when, as God is drawing you in your conscience. It's in that moment that you'll be in God's will. So what if you don't get into the college that was on the top of your list? Does that mean that God has lost his ability to have sovereignty No. What if you don't get that job? What if you don't get that girl? What if you don't get that car? What if you don't get that report from the doctor? Does that mean you have missed God's will? No, God's will is to love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and then love the people around you out of that overflow. And if you do that, you will be in God's will, at that school, in that car, with any spouse or in any job. What I'm trying to say is there is more than one person out there for you. Take a wife and make a stand. Take a husband and make a stand and run your race. And then seek the Lord your God with all your heart soul. And so if you miss, if you think, you know, if you're a young person, you're like, if I don't find him, i got to find the one. No, he is the one, I'm saying. The Lord your God is one. Love him. And God will bring someone along your side that you can run the race of life with. You think about the will of God like a pool. I'm on a diving board. You know, I jump off the diving board into the comfort of the water. Is there just one spot that I have to land? No. All of this is the will of God. So if my heart is to land in the water with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, wherever I land, I'm in the water. And I'm in the will of God. However, if I jump to the side onto the concrete. I'm outside the will of God. Because it's not in the boundaries of the menu. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down. Does this make, I know it's deep. It makes my brain hurt. Maybe you're, maybe you're off the chart. Okay. Second thing. Is, this is on your notes. We get in the will of God. By who we are. Not what we do. That's the will of God. Who we are. I've tried to teach my kids when someone asks them the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Don't give them a vocation because that is not who you are. You know, if you ask Emma what you want to be when you grow up, she'll say, honest, faithful, hardworking, dedicated, loving, Because wherever God puts you in the water, if you are that on the inside, you will be in the will of God and he will use you to make a big impact. See, a lot of times we tie our identity and our purpose to the things of this world, but we are not of this world. We are pilgrims passing through. Peter says we are like aliens. So we're not to to be content here. You know, if we're stuck in a rut in a vocation, maybe a prayer is, Lord, if I am stuck in a rut here, move me. You know, um, um, I, I, disturb me, disturb the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Disturb me, put me in a new location so I can sense you in a new way, so I can do your will in a greater thing. So, yeah, to be consistent is God's will. The other thing is this to pray in Jesus' name means to be consistent with our need. To be consistent with our need. See, the attitude that we approach God with will determine our answer. If we come to the Lord from a position of pride and selfishness and we seek to bring attention to ourselves instead of of God, then you're asking for something that's not on the menu. Even though what you're asking for, I want you to catch this, even if what you're asking for isn't necessarily a bad thing, it's not on the corporate window, window. Menu. Not on the corporate menu. It's about what you need. It's the matter of the heart. You know, if, 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 if your child does something dumb and not smart with their smartphone, you know, if you take it and you screen it and you look through their stuff, that is not an invasion. Okay, this is completely extra. That's not an invasion of privacy. That's being a smart, caring Shrewd parent that wants to protect the heart of your children from the wickedness of this world, but if they decide to go stupid, did I say the S word? Sorry. If they decide to get sideways, and you have to take that from them, and they come to you and they're defiant and they say, "Can I go to my friend's house?" Even if that friend's house is not necessarily a bad place, maybe it's a great environment. Maybe you're great. For, maybe it's a church friend. It's not that that home is a bad place. You say no you can't go over there because you know they're not going over there because they want to see their friend. They want to go over there over there to get away from you. Because they have a heart of defiance. And so you say no to a good thing because you know the heart of the issue. It's consistent with our need. It's a matter of the heart. And so when you pray and ask in Jesus' name, be sure that your ask is coming from a pure heart with a pure motive. So an acronym that I use in in my life when I go through my prayer time is ACTS. A-C-T-S. A is for acknowledge. Sometimes I just read scripture. I'll read the Psalm and Proverbs. I acknowledge God for who he is to kind of get my heart set. And then C is confession. I'll, I'll ask him to show me and let me confess the things that are causing boundaries and barriers in my life. And then I'll move to a T, a thanksgiving. I'll begin to thank the Lord for all that he's done to get my heart right. And then the very, F, the very uh, last letter is S, is supplication. Then I give my ask. I want to make sure that I'm consistent with who he is and my need and my shortcomings before I start saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want to make sure that I'm staring out the corporate window. God is answering. I want you to know this. When we pray from that place, being aware of our own spiritual poverty, being aware of our complete Uh, lack of self-sufficiency, knowing that God owes us nothing based on our own merits, but only by the work of Christ. When you pray from that place, our wants start to take a back seat, don't they? They start taking a back seat to real prayers and real needs, and I'll tell you what will happen. You'll stop praying for yourself, and you'll start praying for other people. Because the two go together. Love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So when you start loving God, you can't help it. God puts people on your heart and your mind. That's just the natural overflow. God is answering prayers all around us. I want you to know that. God is working all around you. The question is, are you staring at the corporate menu? Are you looking for it? And the last thing is this. Ask anything in my name. He's saying I want you to be consistent disciples consistent with your will consistent with your need and it has to be consistent with his glory. Consistent with his glory. To God be the glory. Man that's my favorite line. I text it all the time. I love it. To God be the glory. It just helps me stay focused. Glory is when God goes public. Y'all like it when God goes public? When God just shows out and goes public, you're like, whoa. The glory of God is his hand of favor. So when asking something in Jesus' name is to express sincere desire to God that God would be glorified in the answer. But our first tendency, y'all, you know it. Our first tendency is to pray things that fit what we think is best. Or, or to get the results that we want. Let's say you're in pain. You may be carrying pain right now. The first prayer that typically is prayed, or if you get a bad diagnosis, we would often pray, God, take this away. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to pray. Bring all your needs and supplications to Him. But usually our first inclination is to pray that our circumstances would change. You ever thought maybe God put you in that circumstance on purpose? We, we pray that our circumstance would change. And, and it's not wrong to pray for this. But it's better to pray from a place of consistency to God's will and consistent with our need on a spiritual level first. And so I think, I think a, better, a better prayer to pray would be something like this. Lord, I know there's a purpose. I know there's a purpose for everything you bring into my life. Some of what I'm facing is because of my sin. Some of what I'm facing is because poor decisions that I have made. Some of what I am facing is because the nature of living in a physical body that's slowly dying. So Lord, my prayer is that you would be glorified in whatever way you want. I mean, that's That's a tough place to get to, but it's an important place to get to. Hey, Lord, I want to be faithful. Teach me what you want me to learn from this so that my faith may grow. Anybody been there? Did you want to be there? No. Because we like to live in a rut. Lord, give me joy that I can see your grace on my life through all of this. My desire is to be free from this pain, but only if you have accomplished your work in me. Either way, I trust you and I pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You see the difference there? Man, this type of praying, it shows your trust. It shows your humility. It shows your dependence on the Lord. See, our goal in prayer is to see God be glorified no matter what. Yesterday, uh, me and Emma and Parker are going down the road. and I just asked them this this heavy question. I looked at them. I said, hey, what would it take for you two to turn your back on the Lord? (laughs) What would it take for you to turn your back on Jesus? I mean, you know, that's a pretty heavy question. Prepare yourself. You know, and we begin to talk, and she, Emma gave a really honest, honest answer, and it was, it was very thought out, and I was, I was proud to hear it. But we begin to talk about things like, you know, what if you lost a, a sibling? What if you lost a mom or dad? And you may be thinking, Pastor, that is a morbid thing to talk about. But I want to prepare their hearts, because this is not our home. What are you going to do when the bottom falls out? Because the bottom is, is different for everybody. What will it take for you to turn your back on the Lord? And if you're honest with yourself and you answer that question, that's a good place to kind of reflect a little bit. Our goal in prayer is to see God glorified no matter what happens. To see things His way so that our life aligns to His will. And listen to this church. Once that happens, you'll see your prayers start being answered. Because you're just asking for things that's on the menu. And it's just out the window to you. And it's overwhelming. It's exciting. and Man, this is unbelievable. To see God work in your life. When you ask things in His will. Colossians 3, 12 and 17 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen ones. Holy and dearly loved. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, you can meet me in the parking lot today. That's not in there. I was kidding. See, as a family, don't leave things undone. We're going to pray. Pray in the parking lot. That's what I, That was my point. Let's meet out there and let's talk about this thing. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ reign in your life. Let the peace of of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing to God with gratitude one another we do that every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You have to go to church to be a Christian? No. But it's so special when you do. It's fulfilling the commandments that we're finding right here in Colossians 3. Singing together to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to the God, God the Father through Him. You see this? That's a beautiful picture, Colossians 3, of corporate worship. The beauty of a faith family. Man, I love this faith family. Because we do this often. And so these disciples were given the same promise. They will be able to do greater things than Christ did. Let's look at verse 12 and and we're finished. John 14, 12. Verse 12 says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. So what he's not saying is that you will be more powerful than me. What Jesus is telling them is that what you have seen me do was localized. You've seen me reestablish spiritual relationship with the Father on a local level. But I am going away. And the Holy Spirit I am sending to you as a comforter, as a counselor. I am sending him to you, and you will see what I have done on a spiritual level, on a greater scale, because the gospel will be spread around the world. The greater works that he's talking about is why we're sitting here today in America to where the gospel has been reached to all people groups around the planet for His glory through the will of the Father. And so, when He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, what He's saying is, I'm not through with you guys. Matter of fact, I've got to go away to my Father so that you can, end my will, receive what I have already planned from the foundation of the earth in heaven and that can be unleashed on this earth in greater ways around the world and so John 14, 13 and 14 says this whatever you ask in my name I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son and if I ask if you ask me anything in my name I will do it. So that's it. In the middle of all that they were facing, in the middle of all that we are facing, I want you to leave this morning knowing do not let your hearts be troubled. We're not disconnected from the Father. We have access to Him through the Son, in His name, consistently in His will to meet our needs for His glory. So when we seek and we look what's down here and we look at the needs around us and we begin to pour our lives out to Him and our lives out on somebody else, then those things that He wants us to begin to pray that puts us in His will, we will see it on the menu and we will drive around so much that we'll find ourselves just making circles around His glory because we just can't get enough of the way He answers our prayers. But it starts with aligning ourselves so that we can know his word. What's consistent to the person of Jesus. What's consistent to his teaching. And what brings the glory to God. And so if you're not stepping into sin. If you're looking to make his glory known. And if you're looking to wash selfishness away from your own life. Go for it. Whatever that is. Do it. Jump off the diving board. And anywhere that you land with a pure heart. is going to be exactly where God wants you. And he will use it for His, for your good and for his glory. So can we ask anything in His name? Absolutely. When He says, ask it. Because it's in the line with my will. So relax. Don't freak out. One small step's not going to ruin it all. Stand in His love. Stand in His grace. And let Him handle the heavy stuff. You just do what we can do. Love Him today. Do what He's called you to do today. And guess what you can do? Tomorrow, just do the same thing. Tuesday, do the same thing. Wednesday, do the same thing. And in 10 years from now, you will look back and you'll say, man, God's got me exactly where I want it, where He wants me. So relax. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Christ. Let's stand together this morning. Hey, we're going to open this altar this morning as a time of invitation. I want to invite you just to spend the next few minutes doing business with God. Maybe you know, maybe you know now <laughs> that you're out of alignment. You, you've had your prayer acronym all messed up. You use supplication first. You're just It's all about you, you, you. And you're missing it. You're missing what God wants to do in your life. And you just need to simply ask forgiveness, a time of repentance. You'll never have the pot. you'll never have more power in your family and your faith and in your ministry that God has called you to. You'll never have more of that unless you have less of yourself. Maybe God's calling you to make a move to partner with us here in ministry. You want to have that conversation. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you, just, maybe you just want to simply praise the Lord the next few minutes where you're at. Maybe you don't kneel at your seat. There's no standard operating procedure. I'm saying don't use this moment to be another routine or a habit, church. Let's break the mold. Get out of the invitation rut. Y'all with me? Let's get out of that rut and let's let God shape us and mold us. God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. God, the presence that you've revealed yourself to me through preparation of this word last couple of weeks this morning. God I just convinced that you're moving around us so God I pray that you would give us courage to realign ourselves to acknowledge you for who you are to confess the things that are in us that should not be to give you thanksgiving and praise Lord even when it doesn't make sense to do so that you would align our will so that we can pray things in your name so that you may be glorified through your son. God, thank you for the access that we have in you. God, help us, Lord, as a church 213 faith family to break out of the spiritual ruts, to break out of the faith habits, not just to go through the motions, Lord, but help us to know that something is real and you're calling us to make a real difference in the lives of other people. God, if there's someone in here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they've never given you their life, their heart, soul, mind, and strength in worship. They're tired of living the routine of just going through the motions of thinking, maybe asking, not understanding completely. They know that they're in a spiritual rut separated from you possibly for all of eternity. God, I pray that you would give them courage this morning just to, to, to step away from a dead religious rut make a move towards something that's real God we are not guaranteed tomorrow so God move in us and shape us this morning help us to be a bringer go out into this world shining the light of your son and we do for your glory align with your will consistent with your word pray this in powerful name above all names Yeshua Hamashua, the Messiah of the world. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.